Behind the Mic with Audiophile Magazine. I'm Joe Reed, and Alan Minskoff has been with me this whole week, giving us his thoughts on the books he's been listening to. Alan, this week has gone very quickly. It really has, but we're going to end with fun. We're going to end with a fascinating story, and it's a real-life nonfiction biography of a, of a unique late 20th century lady, still alive. Okay, and the name of it is? It is The Woman Who Stole Vermeer, and it is written by Anthony Amore and read by Karen Cass. I just literally, over the weekend, listened to her read uh, one of the Verity Bright Mysteries starring Lady Eleanor Swift, and Karen Cass has this wonderful voice, and I, it's just light as air and so expressive. And she is perfect to read this story of Rose Dugdale. Because Rose Dugdale is an upper-class Brit born into wealth and prestige, Oxford-educated, comes into the world with a big trust fund, and becomes a radical in the 1970s and a supporter of the IRA. Oh, those were the times that would happen, though. There's no question. It, it, was, it was, we saw it in our country. Yeah. But it should be said that I don't think she ever changes who she is. She still has the posh, what one of the Irishmen calls plummy accent. And I don't think you could find anybody better than Karen Cass to, to do that accent because you just hear this upper class, highly educated, because she's quoted at length. Let me make one interesting point about this. Anthony Amore, who is a, a writer, but also a guy who specializes in security, was not able to actually interview Rose Dugdale for a fascinating reason. She checked with her friends in the movement, and they said, don't do it. Hmm. So this is all on secondary so sources, but it's brilliantly done, and you learn a great deal. And of course, she's published a lot. She was a PhD economist, and both in her early life and later on, she was interviewed a great deal. And so that does not harm the flow of the narrative whatsoever. So did she go to jail for her crime? She did. She spent six years in prison. And she came out and she hadn't changed her point of view one iota. And she, I think to this moment, she lives in Dublin. She is a fascinating woman. I mean, she, she spends time in Cuba, uh, picking coffee beans, spends, uh, spends time there. But she's, I mean, she's highly educated. She, she also was educated at Mount Holyoke. I think she did a master's there and then went back and did the economics degree in London. Uh, and then found Bloody Sunday, you know, that horrible day in Northern Ireland or I think 13 people were killed, was the pivot point in her life. And she never went back. I mean, that just got her. And she became an anti-colonialist. She absolutely did. Now, let's just be honest about her life. She still had a, you know, she had a, a much deeper purse than the average revolutionary and used it. <laughs> and she had a peculiar love life. She was, she was in sort of a, a three-part relationship with the man who she loved, who's, who remained married throughout the entire period. So it's, it's a quirky, fascinating life that Dugdale has. So she, she stole the Vermeer, and what would she, she would sell it? So in addition to running guns and doing some other sorts of things for her baptism in, you know, and, trying, and becoming a revolutionary, she's a brilliant woman. So she engineers a couple of thefts, and the one of the Vermeer was from a famous collection, a private collection in Northern Ireland. She has some local guys work with her and they do this, this theft, but they, they're caught relatively quickly afterwards. But what is so remarkable is her mother had had a gallery. She really knows art. So she picks the very best stuff. 
And this went on record. This is one of the reasons why Amore was interested in this story as one of the great art heists of all time. And the only woman to be the mastermind of, and she was the mastermind of more than one. She actually robbed her own family too. I mean, she was very involved in the, in the, in the movement. So you could see that her sense of things got skewed, but she was she could she could have been one of the world's greatest art thieves in history i mean she knew what to take and how to do it and without destroying it but she didn't know how to hide and get and you know and lose herself in the world okay i want to hear a little uh, does does this need to be set up yeah the sound sample is about her upbringing and specifically her idiosyncratic mom okay this is the woman who stole vermeer by anthony m amore Read by Karen Katz. Caroline Dugdale's authoritarian household was one of exacting, if sometimes arbitrary, edicts. A friend to the youngsters recalled a home filled with daunting rules and regulations, such as a prohibition against the children taking part in the decking of the family Christmas tree until they reached the age of ten. The younger offspring would presumably be required to sit and watch as their older siblings frolicked. The Dugdale girls were also required to curtsy to guests when they entered a room, and while they were welcome guests at the homes of their friends and classmates, even the other parents were terrified of encountering their mother. So she had a very eccentric upbringing. Yes, I mean, certainly on the mother's side, and it's a, they're, they're, it's a rarefied upbringing, a lot of wealth, and... She did, I think, kind of make peace in later life after prison with her family again, who she had, like, like I said earlier, she had robbed and, you know, and she had, of course, philosophically left them. And uh, she, was, she was not easy as a daughter, clearly. How many were in that family? Oh, I think there's some children from an earlier marriage for the dad. And I think she's at least one sibling. Because, you know, it's reminding me of the Mitford sisters, well, who are mentioned in in this story as well. It does remind you because they, they went through a similar kind of transformation. In in different directions. You had Diana and Absolutely. Unity who were fascists and Jessica who was a communist and then Deborah who married a duke. It's like, okay. And let's not forget Nancy, who was the novelist. <laughs> and and one of them wrote The American Way of Death. I mean, they have had a, a tremendous uh, yeah, influence. Jessica. Jessica. Yeah, amazing. And I'm not, I'm, so the woman who stole Vermeer, I mean, why is this not already a series on Masterpiece Theater? And I, you could certainly believe that it should be, and it may be after this. That is The Woman Who Stole Vermeer by Anthony M. Amore, read by Karen Cass. And so we must say goodbye, Alan. Oh, it went by so fast. It went by very fast, but I will talk to you next month. Yep, with a whole new slate of things to listen to. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Support for Behind the Mic comes from Naxos Audiobooks. Earphones Award winner Bill Homewood talks to Raymond Bishop about the story of King Arthur and Thomas Mallory's much-loved reinterpretation of Le Mort d'Arthur at Naxos Audiobooks Podcasts. Be sure to listen. On April 15th, join a live talk with celebrated narrators of David Copperfield. We'll be speaking with Martin Jarvis, Simon Vance, Derek Perkins, and of course, Nicholas Bolton. Each of them will talk about how they approach the memorable characters of Charles Dickens' David Copperfield. Registration information can be found in our show notes. That's April 15th. Be sure to listen. 
Behind the Mic is produced by Jessica Lockhart. Robin Witten, Michelle Cobb, Emily Connolly, and Alan Minskoff are contributors. Jennifer Dell is our editor. The music is William Ross Chernoff's Nomads, Four Way. And I'm your host, Joe Reed. Good listening.